Hello everybody, Julian Charles here of themindrenewed.com coming to you not quite as usual due to a number of arrangements having been postponed, etc, etc. Um, anyway, coming to you from the depths of the Lancashire countryside here in the UK. And today I'm very pleased to welcome again to the programme the Reverend Phil Saker, who is a Christian minister uh, ordained in the Church of England, who is based in a parish on the Essex coast here in the UK, and who also has online ministries, Understand the Bible.uk and Sacred Musings on YouTube, which I subscribe to and I highly recommend you to too, um, if uh, you have a connection to YouTube these days. Uh, <laughs> Phil, uh, it's very good to be chatting with you again. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I, I enjoyed our, our previous um, conversation, so it's good to be to be back chatting with you. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. So did I. And the kind of thing we're going to be talking to today, I was thinking to myself, well, how am I going to deal with these kinds of subjects? And I thought, I know who I can talk to about that. It will be Phil. So thank you very much for agreeing (laughs) to do that. So um, we're going to be chatting around, in a sense, picking up from the two previous conversations we had last year. Hard to believe that it was. Mm. Uh, So that's um, TMR number 267 and 271, which I called COVID and the Churches which was about, by and large, the church's response to the so-called pandemic. So kind of picking up on those conversations, but doing it a bit differently, because I want to ask a fundamental question now, which is, what now for the churches and Christians as members of churches, or not, (laughs) Christians not members of churches, you know, what now for us Mm -hmm. after this very, very strange period in our lives? Because... The pandemic or scandemic or whatever you want to call it um, is now, quote unquote, over in the UK, mm. particularly mm. In other places in the world. Perhaps it's uh, full steam ahead, but uh, it's, mm. it's all that crazy. Um, the, but the COVID narrative feels like it has collapsed here in the UK. So, mm. you know, many are saying, oh, we can just enjoy getting back to the old normal to riff on that dreadful term, the new normal. Uh, We can just get back to the old normal, you know. uh, That's assuming, of course, we are in a position to get back to something like normal if we haven't had our lives completely Mm. turned upside down by the events of the last two years, which, you know, unfortunately that applies to many people. Mm. But I'm very fortunate in that regard. I can think, okay, now I can get back to quote-unquote normal. But that really is the question. Okay, the specific COVID narrative seems to be collapsing, but has the underlying ideology this sort of biosecurity state ideology collapsed and uh, if it hasn't then maybe this attempt to re-embrace the old normal maybe that's not the thing to do because Mm. you know for many people that old normal was living in a kind of sleep Mm. in which many of the events of the last two years were totally unthinkable but they happened so (laughs) ought we really to go back to that kind of sleep so that's that's our area for discussion. I threw those notes down there, so it's your turn. How, how do you respond to any of that, Phil? Mm. Uh, I think actually Lord Sumption made the point fairly early on in the lockdowns that once the government had proceeded with the lockdown policy, then that had changed forever. Because previously, there had been no lockdowns imposed, not by a constitution, but by consent, that that's just the way we, that we did things. There's a word for it, which just temporarily escapes my mind. And, and that's the thing, you know, that um, there's no law that says there's no lockdowns now. And now the government have set a precedent, then it could happen again. Mm. You know, Boris Johnson has said things on TV. He said, I wouldn't hesitate to impose a lockdown again if needed. Just the other day, you know, the monkeypox thing, there was a scientist I saw quoted in the news saying, monkeypox is not needed, a lockdown, sorry, it's not needed for a monkeypox if it is 
kept under control. Mm. And I just thought, you know, it's this again and again. Yeah. The world has changed now. I mean, I was having actually having a conversation with my wife about this just last night. And she was saying that she struggles with church at the moment because she said it just feels hollow. You know, like we're there worshipping God together. and We have, you know, we, we're in church every week. Uh, as um, you said, you know, I'm, I'm a church minister. I'm in church every week. But it just feels like, you know, we, we had this time where we didn't meet. We were meeting online. And then we've just gone back to meeting and singing as we were before. And we haven't talked at all about what's happened. It's just as if it didn't happen. We haven't mentioned it at all. And even I still feel like to voice concerns about what happened is wrong. Like socially wrong it's, in that... It's not welcome. Yeah, socially wrong in that situation, you mean. Not, not actually wrong in an absolute sense. Yeah, just people don't want to talk about it and yeah. people don't want to hear it. Mm. And so I just feel like on those two things, really, that, that in terms of our government and in terms of the world, that has changed. And in terms of the church, things have changed as well, but we're just not talking about it. Mm. Mm. So that's kind of my thoughts. I don't know where you want to go, <laughs> where you want to go with that. Well, I mean... It kind of echoes my thoughts. Mm. I haven't been going. I suppose I've probably gone about five, six times or so in the last 18 months. Mm. A couple of reasons for that. One is because I've been going along to a stand in the park, and I'm still trying to keep that going. The numbers have dropped off considerably, and I think that's largely well, a number of things. People have more social interaction now than they had, mm. and people don't feel under such immediate threat as they did, and I understand that, but there's a core of us who keep going, and I presume this is repeated around the country and around the world, um, mm. but I feel a need to continue talking to other like-minded people, but I also feel that I think I'm actually the only professing Christian in the group, so I, I feel that I should be there, mm. um, but it's exactly the same time as the Sunday worship mm. at 10 o'clock, so um, that's one reason, but the other reason is, as you were saying, I... You know, every time I've been, and when I've been on walks with members from the church, there's this feeling that you just don't talk about anything that's happened. Mm. And I find that absolutely incredible. And yeah. I can't quite imagine going back into regular Sunday worship where everything's just the same and you do not talk about these things. And yet something has been revealed to us. I mean, you said that things have changed. In a sense, I agree. Things have changed on the surface. We've been mm. shown something significant. But underneath, I'm not, I think it's more of a, a revelation of what is mm. underneath that the system is corrupt in many ways. Yeah. And the idea that the church of all institutions or bodies is not addressing this, not even talking about this amongst ourselves, I find incredible. And I find it incredible also from the point of view of speaking into the world, um, an evangelistic point of view. Mm. Mm. What a huge opportunity we are missing here to speak to people. Mm. I find it absolutely amazing. So I don't know how to navigate this uh <laughs> You know, psychologically, uh, um, spiritually, at the moment, um, mm. how are you navigating it? Um, oh, how am I navigating? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not sure that I am mm. at the moment. Um, and no. I, by the way, I've just the, the word has just popped into my head. It's the government by convention, the convention of no lockdowns. That was the word that I was looking for. I'm right. sorry about that. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I'm just feeling more and more like we almost need something new. Mm. My mind actually turns back to the days of the Wesleys yes um, to John and Charles yeah. Wesley that is um, those of you listening who don't know who I'm talking about so over the uh, Christmas period I read a biography of John Wesley mm. and um, it was fascinating to me reading 
But one of the interesting things about John, when he, he was converted, he started preaching. He just went to the ordinary people. He started preaching to the miners. He, yeah. he preached outside. Mm-hmm. He and Charles very much wanted to remain within the Church of England, within the, um, the established church. But they found that they couldn't. You know, they were locked out of pulpits. They were locked out of churches. The church didn't want to know them. Mm. So they went to the people. John preached um, to the miners, I think, down in Bristol mm. and in other places too. He just preached outside. He got a box and, and mm. people listened and people repented. And, and that's how Methodism was born. It was never intended to be outside the established church. It was actually just how it happened. And I just wonder if what we're witnessing is something akin to that, mm. you know, that the established church just seem unwilling to deal with these questions and so what we need is to to say, well, if you know the church isn't going to engage, then we need to take it to the people. Um, because I think there is a, a real hunger for it. I mean, I see so many people who have um, just been questioning things over these last couple of years. You know, mm. is there a God? I think, you know, when you encounter evil, and I think many people recognize that that's what's happened in the last couple of years, mm. then it makes you question things. So, you know, I, I feel like there is a great appetite out there for understanding. There's a great appetite out there. And, and as a Christian minister, for me, going and saying to people, this is what I believe is happening. This is what we need to do. Um, you know, we, we need as a church to repent mm. um, rather than just to carry on as we were before. Because I think, as you, you said, it is it has been a revealing of what was there before and what was there before was not healthy. Um Yes, I agree. And funnily enough, of course, John Wesley came, well, the Wesleys came to mind. And indeed, this phrase, the world is my parish, very famous, mm. <laughs> famous quote there. Yeah. Um, getting on the horse and going around the place. And uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not being partisan about this because now the, the modern Methodist church feels as establishment as you can get. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. It needs to happen all over again in some way. But um, mm. my feeling about this, though, is, you know, you, you say about speaking to people and saying we need to repent and we need to do such and such. And I kind of agree. But I wonder whether we've gone beyond that. You know, if you can never have a conversation where we can address the issues, then how can we ever get to a point in a conversation of of saying we need to do such and such? Mm. And so therefore, I was thinking more in in the line of saying we need a a new, I won't use the phrase fresh expression because that's already been adopted by the churches, Mm. like church planting, etc., that sort of thing. But a new expression of church that comes from the grassroots totally, Mm. absolutely, just finding a group of people who are like-minded and saying, okay, well, we're going to do church. I can't at the moment think beyond that mm. other than just jumping back into the old situation, doing the prayer, hymn, sandwich, stand mm. up, sit down, don't talk about stuff that's outside the box, have a cup of tea afterwards, mm. anticipate if you talk about anything outside the uh, Overton window, <laughs> you'll just get raised eyebrows and a cough. And, and I can't quite, okay, I can do that, but I don't feel that that's going to satisfy this yearning that I have for something more authentic mm. linked with my Christian belief. Yeah. How are we going to do that? It's got to be something totally new, hasn't it? Yeah. Totally new. Yeah, I've, I've had a similar, I've had very similar thoughts really that, that actually we don't want to go back to doing church the way that we did before. Mm. It needs to be a new thing. Mm. Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about this because part of the problem, it seemed to me that before the lockdowns 
I don't think we were doing church in the biblical sense, in the authentic sense, mm. as it was. Oh, yeah. And I think <laughs> yes. that, sure. And I think that's why when the lockdowns hit, the church just caved in and said, oh, okay. Because it was simply because they didn't see any problem mm. with it. Because if church is just meeting together once a week, singing a hymn and having a reading from the Bible and what have you, and then sharing coffee afterwards then if you can't share coffee afterwards, you haven't lost much. Mm. You know, it's just what the rest of society does, you know, that we're all locked in. So, you know, therefore, let's not make too much of a fuss. I think that was people's mindset. And so, therefore, it seems to me that if we want to bring about a change, then you're not going to change people's minds by arguing, but actually by showing people what church should be like. I'm a firm believer in show, don't tell. As in, I think we need to we need to speak and we need to have the intellectual arguments. But at the end of the day, yes. people are only going to be convinced by an authentic expression of church, mm. not simply just saying to them, well, this is not authentic. I think we need to show people. And I think you may be right that that's only going to happen outside mm. of the, the mainline denominations. Mm. Most of the churches really. Um, went with COVID. Mm, I was thinking about too house churches as well. Yeah, mm, yeah. Mm. I can't quite imagine trying to change anything from within the system. What do you do? Have a committee and say, well, how can we change things? And you're the only voice raising such concerns, and you are the only conspiracy theorist. You know? mm, <laughs> so mm. what? Yeah, it just it's a non-starter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. You know, well, you said this word authenticity. I think that's actually very a very important word because one of the things I'm finding is a. <sighs> It hurts me to say this in a way. Mm. Um, this is not a new thought. This is a thought that's been going on for years, mm. way before the so-called pandemic. I'm finding a lack of authenticity in the church. And then going to a stand in the park, I'm actually finding more authenticity there. Mm. Uh, what I mean by that is people seem to be truer to what they believe in that context than I'm finding many people are able to be in the church. Mm. That's a really sad situation. Because there may be people in the church who, f who feel the same as I do, you know, people I already know, but they can't communicate to me and I can't communicate to them because of the social situation. Yet I find in a situation like Stanham Park, total freedom to say whatever you think mm. and a friendship that grows very quickly out of that. And I th I'm often thinking to myself, gosh, this is a kind of model of church, although the beliefs are all over the place. Um, mm. which of course one wouldn't want to model in a Christian sense. There's, you know, there's got to be a core of fundamental mm. beliefs that we, you know, the orthodox beliefs, orthodox with a small O, <laughs> that, that we adhere to, of course. Yeah, yeah. But beyond that, you know, there has to be, a, I think, a freedom that's a bit like what I'm experiencing there. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's, it's quite frightening in some ways because I've had conversations with people Mm. This will come on to what I, I'll say about worldviews in a minute. No doubt we'll talk about worldviews. Mm. But I've had conversations with people where they've said things like, we understand, we know what's going on, we know the truth. Mm. Or even quasi-religious things like, you know, the universe is speaking to us. Mm. It gives me an opportunity to say, well, I don't quite think it's like that, you know, and I'm able to share my faith. But the point is, you know, there's this sense of, well, we, you and I, in conversation, this is projecting myself here into this situation at the bandstand, mm. you and I share some sort of metaphysical understanding. But those other people, which includes, of course, people in the church, many people in the church, they don't understand, they're still in the dark. Mm. And that's really weird because there's a sense of truth about that. 
Mm. But there's also a sense of a lie about that because, of course, I'm thinking, and I will say so. I say, well, yeah, but there are there are fundamental beliefs that I share with many people in the church who don't see some of the things we're seeing. So it's cutting across these categories and making it very difficult to know how to be mm. in that whole social situation. Yeah, that's awkward. It is um, interesting, fascinating, but awkward. Mm. Um, mm. I mean, it, well, one of the things which I I think is um, is key to this is the the notion of having authentic relationships mm. so something which i i experienced in a church that we used to attend it was in a university town a lot of uh, students went there so there were some of the lecturers from the university and basically it was a very middle class quite university educated sort of church and i don't really feel like i actually got to know anybody <laughs> not in a not in a below the surface sort of a way not to really know people's actual thoughts about some of the things going on. Um, you know, I mean, this was some years ago, so, you know, it's well well before all of this happened. Mm. But, um, you know, and I think so many churches are like that, mm. that you go and you don't really get to know anyone. Mm. You know, you, you sort of get to know people at the level of having a nice chat, but there aren't many people that you really get to know, that you actually get to know their thoughts below the surface of what we normally present to people so many churches are like this whereas i think the stand in the park and you know the the lockdowns i think it's ripped ripped that open because for people who are against it you automatically i guess have an in to what someone actually thinks because you know you're going against the mainstream (laughs) so i guess it opens the door to that conversation by virtue of being there and you think church would be a bit like that as well but it's not actually strangely but it must have been in the early days of the church. Yeah. Not just then, but particularly in the early days, it must have been this sense of, wow, you know, we've really discovered something here the rest of the world mm. just isn't getting. Have a tremendous freedom to share your inner thoughts about that and the rest of life, especially if you're suffering persecution. Yeah. But we've lost a lot of that. And, and perhaps that speaks to the problem. Yeah. 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 Well, maybe. Uh, in the church. Yeah. yeah. We're too comfortable. Mm. Too comfortable. For sure. And so um, it, it just seems to me that um, if we want to actually build an authentic Christian community, one of the absolute key things that has to happen is to actually be authentic with one another, which is not to present the version of ourselves that we would like, the middle class kind of, you know, I don't have any problems, I've got a swimming mm. pool in the garden and a tennis court or sort of, I don't know. But You know, I've you got, haven't, presumably. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. No, um, no neither do we. <laughs> but I've got, I've got a nice car, I've got a nice house, I don't have any major problems, mm. and I'm perfectly fine on my own, thank you very much. And that is toxic to Christian community. And that is, I think, what a lot of churches are presenting. You know, that this curated version of themselves, a social media version of themselves, you know, which is I don't have any particular problems. Mm. So I don't really have much need of God or of the gospel. And I think this is part of the problem where we are. I think God is largely absent because the church has kind of decreed that God is not really necessary. Yeah. I think a lot of churches now sing to God, pray to God without really expecting God to be active in the world in any meaningful sense. And so when I, during the, um, the lockdown and just afterwards you know over this whole couple of years and i've been talking about you know psalm 91 about god protecting us and so on and i I mentioned this to some people and it's almost like it's blasphemy now god protects you but you know but you still have to wear a mask and you still have to socially distance you still have to do all of this stuff and Mm. and i think well it seems to me that we've actually lost our trust that you know that Mm. god is is there 
and is actually active other than in a very hands-off kind of well what happens what happens and you know it's god's will but we still have to do all of these safety measures and everything and um, I think, well, okay, there's an interesting conversation to have there. But, you know, the, the idea that, you know, we have to do all of those things and not just simply doing what we believe is right and trusting it to God. Mm. I think that's a real change in the church. Um, so that's another thing as well. It's the authentic relationships. And it's that kind of uh, the trust that God is is sort of present, yes. not, not in a distant way, but actually in a in immediate way yeah. and is good in that way. And one thing that connects with that is something that you were talking about a few weeks back on your YouTube channel. You were talking about your own experience of training for the ministry, you know, and going for jobs and that sort of thing. And you came up against this notion of the broad church, Mm. where increasingly in your denomination, and I would say also in the Methodist denomination, Mm. that what's desired for Christian leadership is people who will not rock the boat. Mm. And so the more and more it moves in that kind of direction, then the less and less we talk about things like, well, even the very existence of God, you know. Um, So when you're talking about having authentic relationships, but also within that context, being aware of God's presence with us and treating the Bible as if it is in fact, you know, authoritative for us, etc. If all that starts to go into the melting pot of, well, you can believe whatever you like, really, and we'll just all, we'll do this thing called orthopraxy rather than orthodoxy. Mm. As long as we're all doing the communion and we're all singing and using the liturgy and blah, 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 everything's okay. But no, that's actually not Mm. if you're losing the fundamentals of the faith Mm. there's a real problem there too and and i think that helps to set up this this weakness of the church so that Mm. when we're impacted by something like this so-called pandemic we fall over so yeah okay then well can we really trust in god we're not all agree that he's really there are we (laughs) you know Mm. um because as you know very well there's you know the sea of faith kind of idea that there really is no god and don cupid and all that sort of scene mm. god is just a way of describing the way we live together and the best that's in life and vague things like that and and i think um i think the church has actually been influenced by secularism mm. so um i come from the, my particular tribe if you like within the church is the evangelical mm. um, a more specifically the conservative evangelical tradition and the thing is with the conservative evangelicals i've been i've been on the conferences and the attitude is we are the biblical ones we believe the bible is the word of god and we stand on the word of god and you know we are biblical and those other heretics over there are not and i i don't want to be hard but that is sometimes the attitude which is communicated whether intentionally or not but the thing is i do feel people and this is not just conservative evangelicals but all over do not realize how much they've been influenced by secularism yeah and so you know when an expert in inverted commas stands up and says well the best thing for you to do is to socially distance wear masks and all of that stuff then we just say oh okay Hmm. and it's like there's no question there's no questioning of it and i think it's this kind of idea that god is largely absent from day-to-day life you know that we pray to him we ask him for various things, but we don't really expect him to show up mm. day by day. We don't really expect him to answer prayer in maybe in a sort of inscrutable way where he sort of answers prayer in a, you know, not not in, in very visible ways. Mm. It's just this kind of this functional absence of God day by day that I think we kind of live with. And society believes that God is basically irrelevant to society. You know, um, I said this in a sermon the other day, you know, when did you last hear a politician 
talking about their faith in Jesus or on the media, just an intelligent discussion of Christianity, you won't hear it. And so I think we just imbibed this in the church, this attitude. It's come into the church and now we trust in our secular institutions more than we trust in God. You mentioned, um, you know, going through the motions, this kind of the rituals of the communion, the songs and so on. And this is actually what God uh, rebuked the people for, the people of Israel in the Old Testament, Mm. in the prophets. Um, For example, I think in in Jeremiah, it says, you know, do not stand and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Mm. You know, he said that um, it is actually to trust God, to obey him and to do the right that God wants. You know, mm. having the temple there, as they had in those days, was not was not the thing. Doing the sacrifices, you know, it says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, as Jesus mm. quoted. You know, going through the motions is not what God wants. Mm. You know, God wants us to love him, to love others. And that's what it's about, not about meeting on a Sunday, having a song and reading and so on. I agree with you, but it's also about fundamental beliefs too, isn't it? It is also about... Doctrine, that's the dirty word. But there has to be a core of doctrine too, doesn't there? Because you can have a community that is very loving and sharing, etc., etc., but that isn't necessarily a Christian community unless there is belief that God is mm. there and God has created and you know has revealed himself fundamentally in Jesus Christ and we're saved through him and his work on the cross, etc., etc. Mm. There have to be some fundamentals, otherwise we're all at sea. Mm. Yes, because there was a case in point, this was many years ago, when I actually did the beginnings of some ministerial training and decided not to go into the ministry. Mm. But during that experience, one placement I had for a very short period was at a Catholic church. I won't say where it is. Um, mm. And I had a conversation with this priest there, and I was trying to pin down you know, what they really believed about various things. Mm. And he kept dodging it. And he was almost almost offended by the fact that I was asking these things. And he kept saying, well, what we're collected around is the mass. Mm. This is what we do together. And I said, yeah, okay. And I, I appreciate that. But what do you fundamentally believe about such and such? And I think I was edging towards the theory of the atonement, you know, because that's a bit of an issue, isn't it, between Protestant Catholic churches. Mm. Um, and he wouldn't answer it and kept on going about, yeah, but we gather around the table, blah, blah, blah. And, and it was this orthopraxy thing again. Mm. And I felt, yeah, that's actually, in many ways, that's what we do. Mm. We don't talk about anything. Yeah. And one minister in our church instituted something called the talking table. They brought a desperate measure after services where you would go to talk mm. about specifically issues to do, questions about the service that's just been had and the sermon that's just been preached. It lasted for a few weeks. And then pretty much I, my wife, with the only person left <laughs> there, and we felt like, well, nobody wants to come and talk to us, do, do they, you know? Yeah. But such a reluctance to talk about things of substance. Yeah. Um, but we'd all done the right things you see in the service. Mm. It's a certain shallowness. And yeah. we are now living in times where shallowness is exactly what we do not need and what I am encountering outside the church is a lack of shallowness. Yeah. And we've got to learn it's, from this, haven't we? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, I 100% agree. Um, I think there have been a couple of things historically which have led to this. But I mean, again, talking about my own tradition, sort of the evangelical tradition and within the church, but in the church, the sermon in the the church is seen as as very highly important in in evangelical churches, which is, you know, the the Bible's the word of God. Mm. Therefore, hearing the sermon is hearing the word of God. And, you know, but the, the problem is that I think so many churches have gone down the road of only having a sermon mm, yes. and not actually teaching people the faith. Mm. So I know a lot of people who've come into the church over the last few years 
they don't have any background in Christianity at all and they're not being taught the faith you know they're hearing a sermon which is not I think a sermon is a very different thing from teaching people what Christianity is absolutely from mm. teaching people about you know the apostles creed the ten commandments and and so on it's about applying truths isn't it yeah a sermon the sermon is about applying truths to the people who are listening yes and to yourself as the preacher oh oh <laughs> um, yeah but you, you've so. got to apply that which or it to some extent is understood mm. And, and I think this is where we've gone wrong, uh, certainly in the evangelical world. We've stopped catechesis, um, which is a word, just me, a catechism is um, just a way of learning something by questions and answers. Right. And it, it was a traditional way that the church has used for the last 2,000 years until about 100 years ago, when for some reason churches stopped doing it. <laughs> and it's a mystery to me why we ever stopped, because we should be doing it. You know, in the Book of Common Prayer... Before confirmation, you should be teaching people the catechism. It's, you know, and um, for some reason, churches just stopped doing it. Maybe we thought, well, everyone's a Christian. They're getting things in school. But I think it's led to this situation where se- this tide of secularism has swept in. People aren't getting taught the Bible or the Christian faith in school at all. And so we've got this situation now where a generation of people don't know the faith and even the ones who go to church, I think, are very poorly educated. And I fear to say this, but I think even in my own conservative evangelical world, there is a, a lack of biblical and doctrinal knowledge. Mm. And I, I think this because when you go to some of these conferences, there is a problem with class. And I've spoken out about this before. Um, the leadership of a lot of these conservative evangelical organisations is public school educated, Oxbridge educated. Right. It's sort of the, a bit of the old boys network in some ways. I mean, yeah. it's not, and I think it's not intentional, but, you know, when St. Paul said things like, um, not many of you are rich, not many of you, you know, God chose the nothings of the world to shame the strong, hmm. you know, and God does not generally choose people, I think, from the higher echelons of society. Hmm. So why is it in these organisations that we've ended up with you know, a leadership who seem to be of the same, taken from the same stuff as the leadership of our country, mm. you know, the Eatons and public schools. Um, oh. How is that? Mm. And mm. It, it seems to me because we're not biblical enough, oh. you know, we don't understand what it means, you know, there being no Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, or working class or middle class, middle upper class, whatever. Mm. And that's where we end up with an Archbishop of Canterbury telling us that we need to be COVID-19 vaccinated in order to show our Christian faith. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the elite attitude, really, isn't it? And, mm. you know, I just thought it was actually quite an ignorant position, oh. apart from being offensive. It is very, um, it's actually very un-Christian. Yeah. And, and <laughs> yeah. that's that's the, the real horror of it. Mm. To mm. say to people, you love your neighbour by getting vaccinated. Mm. I mean, that would never have been the thing to say before. You'd never have said prior to last year oh you love your neighbor by getting the flu vaccine i mean that you know that would have been a stupid and thing to say you never have said it mm. and it's only in the last couple of years that, that things have you know mm. but like we were talking about it's the things changing before which mm. have led to him saying that yes yes yeah and that brings me to something i wanted to share from the theologian francis schaefer mm. who i've mentioned a number of times on the program as having had quite an effect on me. And I know that, you know, you've mentioned him quite often too, mm. because, you know, we've just been talking about the, the churches too much trusting the establishment. And that's a problem that's been brewing, as it were, for a long time. Mm. And, you know, Schaefer 
very much warned about that yeah. decades ago. So I have here Schaefer's book, The Church at the End of the 20th Century, which was published in... Well, I've got the complete works of Francis Schaeffer here. So that was published in 1982. So obviously it was well before then. Um, yeah, he died in 1984. Yeah, that's um, right. So, so this was, yeah. I guess this was published in the 70s, wasn't it? Something like that. Mm. And one of the chapters is called Modern Man, the Manipulator. And when I read this, you know, I think to myself, I'm not sure that I could talk about the things that are in here with many of the people in my church today, you know. Mm. 1970. There we go. Sorry? It was published. I've got the individual books. 1970 was when it was published. Right. Well, there you go. Right. So 1970. So not exactly yesterday. Mm. Um, And in that chapter, he has various subheadings, which I'll just read to give people an idea of the contents. So Mm. we have things like scientific manipulation, Mm. manipulation of law, manipulation of history, manipulation in religion, manipulation in the theatre and art, manipulation in television, Mm. Um, chemical and electrical manipulation. And then to end the chapter, he talks about becoming aware. Yeah, yeah. So right back then, he's warning the church about the trends that he can already see shaping up then and saying, we need to be aware of this. And I feel like 2022, even after what's just happened, many people are still unaware. It's absolutely incredible. It's it's like were people not listening. It 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 baffles me. It really does. Um, we were thinking um a minute ago about um the lack of education within the um church, and, and one of the interesting things I think is how we certainly within the reformed tradition of the church, if you think about you know talk about the Reformation and about the emphasis on um grace alone which means correspondingly that we are man is fallen and unable to raise ourselves mm. you know that sin has corrupted every part of us if you like yeah. not that we're as bad as we can possibly be no, no, no. and and this idea that the church thinks well we can trust the government we can trust a scientist we can trust the media <laughs> and i just think but surely that's not what we actually believe you know that we as christians should actually have more of a distrust yes instinctively of government media scientists or at least an awareness that they could be um misleading or there could be politics involved or all of the things which we've seen happening over the last couple of years it's like this kind of naive faith and trust and um, yeah i i think francis schaeffer was someone who really perceived what was happening in the church Mm. Um, that he talked about um, the church almost becoming part of the establishment and that being one of the great dangers actually that faced the church at that time. Yeah. And I think he's been proved right. Yes, it was a prophetic voice, wasn't it, for sure? Very much so, yeah. I mean, I yes. think he and C.S. Lewis was another another one who I think mm. could mm. see exactly what was coming somehow. Was it the 1960s essay? He, did, he wrote um, a piece in the paper about um, how if the state is to have that influence over us, the planned state. It needs to base it it on claims to knowledge and on the scientists. And um, that was written, I believe, in the early 1960s, I think. What was the title of that one? Um, Uh, um, I know the one you mean. I'll dig it out and put it in the notes because I have read it. I know the one you mean. Yeah, It was an essay. Mm. Yeah, let let me look that up. It kind of looks towards technocracy, doesn't it? (laughs) It it does. Yeah, it does. Mm. Oh, here we go. It's a piece called Is Progress Possible? published in 1958 (laughs) right yeah sorry me juggling but you know it's incredible isn't it yeah all this time later and uh yeah oh 
Did somebody really say such a thing? <laughs> I know, I know. It's incredible, mm. isn't it? How he and, yeah. and Schaefer and others managed to have that insight into yes. the way the world is now actually is. So in a sense, does this not tell us something that mm. we've had all those years from such prophetic utterances, mm. very little has changed in many ways. Perhaps things have got worse. So we come back to what we were saying before about we need to get on our horse. Well, I don't ride a horse, but you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somehow we've got to have this new expression, mm. this grassroots expression of church. Well, you know, I've often thought about this. Well, how do you actually do that? I mean, I don't even play the guitar. You know, one of the classic <laughs> things is you just go in a corner somewhere and start singing a chorus on your own with a guitar and people join you, you know. Um, mm. How do you actually go about doing this? Yeah. <laughs> and that well that well I I'm I'm still open to ideas on this I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think one of the interesting things that's happened this time round is that we have the internet. If you look back at the history of the reformation I'm I'm fascinated by the history of the reformation. Mm. And the reformation was built around the printing press and I think we are living through another printing press kind of a moment uh, when it comes to the internet. Although internet kind of um, socialising isn't really socialising and internet relationships aren't real relationships, but nonetheless, it doesn't mean it's of no value. No. You mentioned at the start, I publish um, my Understand the Bible website. That's sort of a ministry. I do videos teaching the Christian faith. Um, we've been through um, over the last uh, year. I've done things like the um, Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and I'm currently working on the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things which I've thought about is that it does give the option of learning around video or, you know, whereas in the past, people, I guess, might have gathered around books. There's lots of literature published at the time of the Reformation and since then. But it does give you a connection point and perhaps just meeting together to study and to talk about, you know, part of the Bible to learn and then to talk about what it means and to pray and and it mean even with with music you say you don't play the guitar but there's so much music available on the internet i mean we actually have an evening service where we don't have live musicians we just use uh, youtube videos mm. as songs because a lot of them have the lyrics so you know don't even have to have live music you know all of the stuff which we do rather than actually as we we were doing you know have an entire service which is virtual you could actually use leverage to technology, mm. but use it for good. Sure, yes. Actually use it in a local community. Yes. So, you know, to have a Bible study group, yeah. say, for example, yeah. or maybe mm. meet in a community centre, or I don't know, all sorts of different options. Sure, sure. And when I say I don't play the guitar, I do play three chords. Oh, so well, there we go. You can, you can I, I, I can do punk rock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do a lot of Christian songs. Yeah, that's right. Um <laughs> Yeah, okay, well, we did a lot of that before, didn't we? That's going on all the time. I mean, we had a, a Bible study group. It hasn't got going again yet. And to be honest, I can't quite conceive how to step back into that. It may happen. But again, I don't feel comfortable. Okay, so we can talk about the Bible. We can pull a passage apart and we can talk about our own reaction to that and dip into our own experiences in connection with that passage only so far. Hmm. Because if I were to talk about any of the fundamental experiences that I've had, mostly internally, inside my own mind, my own fears, my own suspicions, etc., mm. it would be silence and raised eyebrows. Now, mm. there might be other people thinking the same, but there's like a spell, yeah. a kind of groupthink spell that I know would form again. I just know it mm. as there is in our church. 
Yeah. There is a groupthink spell. <laughs> it's not a real spell, but mm. you know what I mean. It's a psychological thing, mm. partly, of course, induced by our beloved behavioral psychologists. Mm. So I come back again. I can't conceive of any positive way forward, for me anyway, other than somehow just standing with my three chords <laughs> in the middle of the park somewhere. Mm. Um, well, maybe. But I fear that I would just be there forever. Yeah. I I think um, I've been feeling a bit frustrated this last couple of um, couple of months, particularly. Well, it's been longer than that, but I feel like instinctively, like we're on the cusp of something, but I don't know what. Yes. And I just feel like there's a change coming. There was a change, but I think there's another change coming, and I'm not quite sure what that is. I'm not talking about a bad thing. Okay. Um, I feel like there's going to be a growing backlash against what the government have been doing. Mm. And I think that perhaps that's a way in. Yes. Um, Because I think you're right that we had Bible study groups before. And part of the problem was none of us actually really said what we actually thought in those Bible study groups. That's true. Yeah. Because there were still things off limits. Yeah. I I felt that at the time. Mm. You know, I have concerns about various issues in the world. BBC is throwing some information at you. think that I don't think that's true but i don't say it to anybody else so there's certain areas of my th- thought life that just off limits that's not healthy well it's, it's like with um brexit for example you know we, mm. we as a church mm. we never talked about brexit mm. really and i think but surely there's a christian angle just to not say what the world is saying but to say well this is perhaps how the bible might come to bear on that we just it again just swept it swept it under the rug mm. so mm. perhaps this is actually the two things go hand in hand in terms of studying the Bible, but also having an honesty and an openness to say there's no area which is off limits. Mm. You know, that mm. actually it's right to talk and ask the kind of questions which we don't usually talk about. Yes. And I think that has to be absolute as well. Mm. I know that sounds rather extreme, but this is one of the things that go back to a stand in the park. Yeah. It's just the experience that I'm having. Um, mm. There are things that people talk about there that in other contexts I've almost been trained to be shocked by. Yeah. But in that context, I think, actually, I don't care. Mm. I will just argue with that person in, in a very friendly way. And, and we still are shaking hands and, mm. and smiling and making jokes. And even if that person has gone into areas like, I don't know, let's say Holocaust revisionism or something like that, mm. which I'm not interested in at all. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't think, oh, well, I'm not going to speak to you again. I will just say, well, I don't think that's the evidence for that is at all convinced. Blah, blah, blah. You actually mm. have a real conversation. So I, I think nothing should be off limits, should it? Yeah. No. How do we get there? That's really countercultural. <laughs> I think I think it's the combination of the what um, we were talking about earlier about the, the genuine, authentic relationships, isn't it? Mm. I'm not sure. It, it's a bit like the um, the chicken and the egg. You know, which comes first? Is it the uh, the relationship or the interesting in Christianity or the? I, I think one way or the other, whether the group comes first who are interested in Christianity or the relationships which forms into a group, I'm not sure it really matters that much. But I think it needs to be built on authentic relationships where you actually talk about stuff which you really think. This is part of the problem with social media, isn't it? And again, this is another part of the mix of the last couple of years we haven't really talked about, mm. how increasingly political views are siloed. So the people on the left and people on the right just don't talk to each other anymore. No. One side sees the other as evil, and the other side is just, well, that's just silly. So there's no talking, which I think is a real shame, because actually I feel 
I, I could have a really good conversation with different perspectives on that. You know, I'd appreciate having those conversations. Mm. And, um, you know, it's just seeing people as people. Yes. Not just saying, oh, oh goodness me, that, that opinion's beyond the pale. We mustn't talk about that. Yeah. You know, but actually developing a genuine interest in people and being able to have that kind of conversation where before we wouldn't be able to, to talk about. Yeah, it just popped into my mind how in a house group, this is oh, probably a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, mm. somebody was talking about somebody outside of the group and just said, oh, oh yes, and there, of course, they're a climate denier. Yeah, And it actually yeah. shocked me because, mm. you know, in many respects, I do you know, love and respect that person, but they didn't mm. realize that they had actually offended me yeah. because I have questions about that kind of issue. Mm. But I know what this means. If you have any questions about the official position on that, then many people will accuse you of being a climate denier. And I don't know that the person who was being accused outside the group, I don't know what they really thought. Mm. Um, that's going exactly in the opposite direction of what we're talking about, isn't it? We want to have more openness, not a shutting down of opinion, mm. which I think these sort of socially engineered terms like that coming into people's minds and being banded around um mm. help to shut things down um, mm. really got to neutralize that influence if we can but how can we mm. again i come back to this starting again um and there's no point in asking you again is there because you'll say i'm open to opinions and that's fair enough i'm yeah. open to opinions where, yeah yeah where, where do we go from here there's something i wanted to i've touched on it but i'd like to bring it up a little bit more mm. and that is this experience i have with people at the park where some people will talk in very definitely religious terms mm. about what's happened and the fact that they see things that other people don't see. Mm. And they will talk in terms of being chosen. I've had people say this to me. Mm. We're chosen. And I question, well, chosen by what? And they might say something like, well, by the universe. Mm. The universe has spoken to us. And, we're and somebody actually, was it yesterday? Yes, yesterday was saying to me that they thought perhaps we were souls before... We came to earth and we were, we put our hands up to say, yes, I'll go down and uh, I'll uh, try to make a difference down there. And we were therefore chosen because we were going to be open to mm. an awareness to what's happening in the here and now. This is very, very deeply religious language. Yeah. When somebody talks about the universe in that way, they don't realize it, but they're talking about God. Mm. Um, and yet some of those very same people will then despair. Mm. They say, oh, well, the church? Oh, well, you know, no time for that. I won't go there. I've nothing to do with them. Yeah, yeah. And I said, well, you're, you're talking to me. You know, I'm a Christian. Oh, yeah, but yeah, but you know, mm. you, uh, you see what's <laughs> going on and uh, you're in touch with the universe. <laughs> right, okay. Mm. Do you know, there's a very deep, authentic sort of religious experience going on here that's unharnessed. It's un it's, it's, mm. It can't focus on anything. It's very fuzzy. New age, I suppose we might say. Mm. It's a kind of fertile ground. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're missing it. We're totally missing mm. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. very much. And, and this is actually why I've been trying to focus more on the worldview. I mean, you mentioned that earlier. Mm. I've been um, on the Sacred Musings um, podcast trying to look more into building a Christian worldview. Mm. And that's because I think that's the key element of this. I mean, all that is, is just trying to think logically about these things. Yeah. And I think if people are prepared to think logically about what's been happening with uh, COVID, then I think you need to think logically about everything else. Hmm. In a wider sense, well, okay, what does make sense of the world? What does make sense of our experience? 
what does make sense of the fact that some things are right and some things are wrong. Yes. You know, what makes sense of the fact that if someone, say, for example, steals my bike, that I can say to them, that's not just wrong in my opinion, that is wrong, wrong. Mm. Um, mm. There is a binding moral law upon every human being. Mm. What? Why is that? Yes. And does the fact that the universe, in inverted commas, <laughs> You know, yeah. and I, I don't, I don't mean to mock. I'm not, no. I'm not mocking. I'm just saying that I think people don't think these things through. It's very true. And you know, what I'm trying to do actually is to say, no, well, look, let's be consistent. You know, let's think it all through. Let's start from first principles. Let's start. You know, as Francis Schaeffer said, you know, there is a God. Yes. The, you know, the God who is there that lays the ground for everything else. And if you don't start with that, then what do you mm. end up with? Mm. You know, time plus chance. And chaos. Yes, and I, I very much agree with you because mm. I'm talking about this experience I'm having at the park. I'm sorry to keep coming back to it, but the, that is the experience that I'm having. Mm. Mm. Um, I've got to be very careful. I try to do the kinds of things you're suggesting there, but in a, a very tentative way because I, I'm not intend. I never went there intending to evangelize anybody, but just to be authentically who I am. So therefore, yes, I'm mm. going to enter into a, a conversation with people where I do some of what you described mm. there. So, but, you know, what do you really mean by that? And I don't agree. And I think this, and that's fair enough. But if I try to say, well, now let's have a, a really mm. analytical conversation about this, where I'm basically going to do mm. Christian apologetics, that's going to backfire in a big way. Mm. I can't do that. And I don't really want to mm. do that i want to enter into these relationships over a long period of time and and just express myself authentically over that time and see what happens out mm. of that preferably mm. you know yeah uh, but that's not I'm, but i'm not there to do that i'm there in the spirit of a stand in the park just to stand for what i believe to be true to be there for other people and to be there for act two you know <laughs> to go back to brett weinstein you know we're in the intermission now what's act two going to be we need to be there for people when whatever that is happens and and that's right and and I, i'm not saying in a talking about worldview that that engenders any specific approach apart from just mm. as i said building these authentic relationships it, it doesn't necessarily mean engaging in the same way in in every one of these things no over the last couple of weeks i've been preaching on um, the book of daniel daniel chapter two and one of the interesting things there in the book of daniel is that uh, nebuchadnezzar the king of babylon has a dream and it's a dream that he can't interpret or understand. So he gets all of his magicians, astrologers and everyone to come in and uh, try. And he says, he actually says to them, uh, look, I'm not going to tell you the dream. I want you to tell me what my dream was so that I know that whatever you tell me is true, is the true interpretation. Hmm. And the magicians and astrologers, they say, oh, we can't. That's too <laughs> yes. difficult. You know, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. But it says, no king has ever asked what you've asked of us. The, the only people who can do that are the gods, and they do not live among humans. Mm. And then Daniel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar gets into a rage. He says, oh, well, let's kill all of the wise men. And someone comes in to kill Daniel and his friends, the um, exiles from Israel. And uh, Daniel says, don't do that. We'll pray to God, and God will reveal the interpretation. And that's what happens. They pray mm. in the night that's revealed in a dream. The next day, Daniel goes in, and he gives them the interpretation. Yeah. Now... I think one of the lessons that I take from that is actually that, as Daniel says, there is a God who reveals mysteries. And I think that people are, are looking for that mystery to be revealed at the moment. Hmm. But perhaps they don't believe that Christianity has the answer, perhaps because of the way that the church has behaved over the last couple of years. Yes. But I think there is... And beyond, I think. And beyond, yeah. And beyond, yes. Um, but there is a... I think there is maybe an openness there to hear what we have to say 
That's true. That is the thing. It's saying, I don't have all of the answers when it comes to engaging, and you don't have all the answers when it comes to engaging. Hmm. But Hmm. as we, I think, having the experience that we have, the knowledge that we have, knowing that there is an answer, you know, we can go forward in confidence, Hmm. knowing that, you know, what we have is what people need to hear. Yes. I still think that, as I said earlier, there is perhaps a a time coming when people will be even more ready to hear. I don't know how that will happen, but that's the way I feel it's going. And um, then I think we can go forward in confidence. I think people will come to us so long as we just continue to hold out that message. You know, people know who you are. People know who I am. I think there will come a time where people will seek it out more actively than they are at the moment. I think you're right. And going back to that business about people saying, you know, the universe, that actually does give me some golden opportunities, actually. Yeah. Also to connect to what you're saying about logic as well, mm. just to ask, well, what do you think? Do you think the universe actually knows us? Does the universe care about us? And mm. I, I would call that God, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. very gentle conversation. One of the things that I'm finding, and if anybody from the park is listening to this, they might uh, have a go at me for saying this, mm. but nevertheless, one of the things I am finding mm. is that amongst certain certain members there's a lack of critical thinking Mm. and this is something i find with quote unquote the truth movement generally over the years there will be some traumatic experience that people will have and they'll start questioning Uh. and then they'll say well i've got to question this and i've got to question that and they'll find more things that they used to believe that they now are full of holes and that process will be the rabbit hole and they go so far down that that it then takes a very very long time to rebuild a worldview Hmm. And I'm finding that there are examples of people whose critical thinking has been damaged. Um, They may talk about critical thinking, but don't do it, in my view. Hmm. Um, So I'm finding it quite an opportunity simply to work through just basic reasoning with some people. Hmm. That may make me seem like not a proper truther in some ways. (laughs) Um, But that also connects to just trying to make sense of things generally and make sense of things spiritually. So you know what I mean? It connects to that whole thing we were talking about, Hmm. of standing for what you believe, trying to be reasonable, not rejecting what people say, but in a dialogical way, mutually trying to make sense of things. Hmm. I have a greater openness to do that, I think, than ever before. Because people, as you say, are open. Yeah. They're not shocked by anything you say, and they're not they're not put off by anything you say. Oh, you're a Christian. Oh, yeah, fair enough. I don't believe in that, but mm. you know, whatever. I believe in fairies or whatever, and, mm. and then I can say, oh, oh, really? What are they? And <laughs> you know, yeah. it's an amazing yeah. opportunity in many ways. Yeah, yeah, and I think it sort of goes back to um, free speech, the free exchange of ideas, and I think that's something which i found the last couple of years that's really gone down the pan i mean it was going down the pan before Mm. Um, but i think you know to have a free marketplace of ideas where we are you know confident as christians to stand up and say well actually i believe god made the universe Mm. i believe that it's this way instead of that way because there is a god and you know we can have confidence in, in saying that because we know you know we are kind of if you like thought through about these things Mm. and um, i believe that this is the most consistent uh, worldview and engage with people in those ideas and trusting that when we're allowed to express these ideas and debate them then the the best ideas will rise to the top because people will see the logic the consistency and so on be able to think about it and we're able to do that when we're able to actually talk freely you know not think that uh, we have to hold back because oh no can't talk about that 
Mm. Um, but we're actually able to freely exchange these ideas and to make a case for something yeah. without fear of, of that censorship. Absolutely. Mm. Ah, here's a conundrum. Mm. You ready? All right. <laughs> okay, let me take this experience again of talking to people about anything. And there's a fellowship, there's a friendship. Okay, so I then, let us say, latch on to a couple of other people at some point who also share my Christian beliefs. And we say, oh, okay, let's form a group. Let's, mm. One of you plays the guitar, hopefully. <laughs> right. Let's go into that corner of the park and we'll do our own stand in the park. Um, over time that grows, we then have them and us. Mm. We have us, the Christian believers, who are open to having a chat about anything, concerns about the world. And then we have the other people who still meet in the park at the other corner of the park and we're separated. There's a difficulty there, isn't there? Mm. Because there is a separation of belief. But to have a separation of fellowship, a separation of community, just at the time where we desperately need fellowship and community, when the world is moving in the opposite direction of that, in this technocratic, top-down, everything-laid-on, digitized world, we need local community more than ever. Will we separate ourselves off and say, well, we believe this? And you don't, mm -hmm. etc. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but you see what I mean. There's a mm. there is a difficulty there. Yeah, we somehow got to keep that distinctive, and yet be maximally involved with other people in genuine community. How, how on earth do we do that? That really is a juggling act. But it seems necessary to me. Well, you think about the early church. Um, the way that they did it was they formed a genuine community themselves, and people came to that. Yes. Um, yes. You know, a genuine community is not inward focused, it's outward focused, concerned about the needs of its own members, but also concerned about others. And that's genuine Christian community. Yes. Um, so I think that, you know, the more genuine the Christian community, the more people will see that and see that it's not kind of a separatist, isolationist movement. But, you know, this is the point, isn't it, about following Jesus, that we have to join on his terms. Mm. You know, Christ is inherently divisive to a point. Yes, the offer yes. is open to everyone, but we all come to him on his terms, not on ours. Mm. And some people, sadly, are not willing to, to come, mm. Mm. Uh, but the offer is still open to them. Mm. I agree. I agree. Mm -hmm. It's still very difficult in practice what that would look like when it mm. necessarily cuts across community. <sighs> I think some level of separation is going to be inevitable. It is. And it is. I think for a while, I think we may have to deal with that because, um, I mean, I was talking about this um, actually uh, yesterday again with, with my wife. We were talking about potentially this sort of new church planting perhaps idea. And, um, mm. you know, we were talking about who might want to come and who might not. Mm. And it would be divisive. Um, but that's the way I think it has to be at the moment. And I think that, you know, that people are only going to see the truth when there is a choice between the truth and, you know, and a lie. Mm. And at the moment, I think what they see is the choice between a lie and a lie or, you know, something which is a lie and something which is closer to the truth, but still not, not completely there. Mm. You know, we need communities which are formed around the truth and then it will be obvious, you know, it will be shown where the truth actually is. Mm. Yeah. But at the moment, I think as much as I might agree with the folks there in the stand in the park in many things is not the truth um, because Jesus is the truth. Yeah, sure. And yeah. Um, and this is, I guess, <clears throat> what we've got <throat> to we've got to separate in some way, separate out and say, 
Jesus is the truth. And the stand in the park is important, an important aspect of seeking the truth, but is not the truth. Hmm. You know, it's Christ the truth. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I, I, and I think that is painful. I, I, don't, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, but what? what um, no, but one of the one of the upshots of that is not a separation in a community sense, but just in a belief and worship sense, isn't it? So mm. I'm trying to bring this back to practical levels because mm. that's these are the things that are concerning me. Yeah. Um, I tend to talk philosophy all the time on the podcast in one way or another. Yeah, yeah. But um, okay, so they meet at ten o'clock. Mm. The church meets at ten thirty. Well, there's a direct clash there. So one thing I would say if I had any influence over what the church would do, I'd say, well, okay, let's stop meeting at that point then. Mm. Okay, let's meet some other point. There's no way that's going to happen. So this hypothetical new grassroots thing shouldn't meet at the same time. Mm. That's very basic. So that people like me can still go along to the stand and still develop those relationships Mm. and say, hey, I'm coming along to this. Why don't you come along to... Mm. It's pretty much the same, but, you know, it's it's Christian-focused. Why don't you come along to that? Mm. We still have a cup of coffee afterwards. We could talk about anything. Um, Mm. It's another expression of the same sort of thing, but with this fundamental worldview in place. Yeah. It's got to be something like that, hasn't it? Well, yeah. Well, it's both and, you know. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I think um maybe the idea of saying, well, let's stand in the park, but then afterwards if anyone wants to come and chat about Christianity or watch a video or read the Bible and have some songs or something, you know, we're going to be doing that afterwards. <laughs> you know, and and um yeah. And that and Do you know, I think even I'm going to say, I think even that will put most people off just using those words. Yeah, yeah. Do you know? Read the Bible, mm. watch a video. Mm. I know where you're coming from, yeah. but I, I reckon that a lot of those terms are just switch-off terms straight away. Well, you know, I think um, that's the thing. If people are interested in exploring, mm. then they have to, you know, be prepared to go along with those things. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, because that is part of it. And, you know, I, I think there may be there may be people who'd be more interested. I, I, I don't know. So, you know, if you think about... Um, uh, hold on, hold on. No, I'm going to stop you because I, I don't. What I don't want to leave is a, a false impression. I don't mean not doing those things. Right. What right. I mean is the language. You know. Right. I wouldn't go into the situation and talk about come and study the Bible, come and sing some hymns, come and watch a Christian video. What I would say, oh, you know, come along. It's a bit like this, but yeah, we do some Christiany stuff. But you know, that's the way it is. But um, you know that I'm a Christian, believe in God. Just yeah, come and have a chat with us and experience what it's like. Really, really vague. And then what happens, happens. Mm. But I think so much can be switched off with language and all the baggage over the years. Mm. That's all I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Um, no, that's fine. I, I mean, I, I'm of the opinion that language is less important than we think it is. Okay. Um, as in, so often I think Christians assume that it would put people off if we mention those things. And I, I'm not sure it would. And this is maybe, maybe this is the thing, you know, and perhaps the stand in the park folks actually are not the prime kind of people who would be open to coming to something like that. I don't know. But I think that there are people who are desperate for a kind of spiritual guidance at the moment and to say, look, well, why don't we look into what Christianity has to say? Why don't we look at the Bible? Why don't we talk about what Jesus actually said? And may, yeah, not, not even singing the hymns, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm not talking about doing a service. Mm. But I think, you know, that there are so many people who I, I think have been starved of that mm. in this last couple of years, which is why the Stand in the Park folk are feeling like it's a spiritual experience, I think, mm. because mm. they're not getting it any other way. Yeah. What it boils down to is we've just got to be careful what we say to who we're talking to. So mm. we just need to know who we're talking to, isn't but it? Yeah. I, I think there is Christians are often, in my experience more worried about what people think than needs be 
And yeah. when I've gone round, for example, knocking on doors, um, not that I've done it very much, but um, most people, you say I'm from the church, people don't slam the door in your face or anything like that. People are quite open. Mm. It's just, you know, people think it's irrelevant. But there's this perception, perhaps because of what's happening on, in the media and, and so on, that the world is very, very hostile to Christians and Christianity and that we need to tread on eggshells. But I think we should be confident in saying, well, we sing hymns, we read the Bible, that's how we learn and, and that's God's word. I think we should be confident in what we do because church isn't an embarrassment. You know, it's actually a, it's an encounter with the living God. And so perhaps if it was more like that, actually then people would appreciate it more. If it was more an encounter with the living God, I think that's right. Mm. But I think church in many cases has become an embarrassment. Mm. I think that's precisely part of the problem. Yeah. I know there are certain people who, if I did use too many Christian terms, would clearly be put off. Mm. They do talk in that way. So, yeah, I would remain careful what I say. Mm. It's not that I'm embarrassed by any of these things fundamentally, but I am aware of the baggage. I think that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, I've just had a text from my wife. Mm. Um, not too distant future, I will need to go and pick her up um, in the car. Yes. Um, yeah. so and I think we are drawing to a close, actually. Mm. And let me just check if there is anything else. I think there may not be. Mm. No, I think that's essentially it. Um, yeah, well, that was fascinating, actually, having that discussion around all these ideas. It does very much connect to what we were saying before. Yeah. I still have these very, very practical questions clearly you do too mm. we've got to do something something's got to move from here mm. i don't know exactly what that looks like mm. i think this has certainly helped me to form some ideas about it um i know that i will be increasingly going back into that normal uh, church situation mm. um and no doubt encountering some very difficult thoughts and experiences as that happens but that necessarily will take place mm. this i think is giving me more to chew on um, as I go through those experiences. And I hope that it's going to be helpful for people listening to this conversation as well. I'm, I have no doubt because of emails I do receive, mm. I have no doubt there are lots of people thinking similar thoughts mm. to these. Mm. You know, I do get occasionally people saying, you know, do you know of any awake churches? <laughs> mm. um, um, what awake means to them, I, mm. I don't know, but um, I know the kinds of things it's likely to mean. And of course I have to say, uh, no, sorry, um, I don't. But as soon as I know, I'll let you know. Um, mm. So hopefully and prayerfully, things will, as you say, as things go forward and we, we enter Act 2, whatever that's going to be, with its dark and light sides, mm. um, we will find more expressions of the kinds of things we're talking about and hopefully we'll be part of that in our various ways. So thank you very much, Phil, for having this unstructured <laughs> but really fascinating conversation. Thank you. Yes, I hope everybody has found it really helpful. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you very much. Yeah, and thanks for having me. And and you know, like like I said, I think this is the value in these these conversations because we don't have all of the answers. No. Um. No. And and I think this conversation has definitely showed that. Hmm. Um. But at the same time, it's so important to be talking about and thinking about. Yes. Um. And like like you say, we'll only get the answer I think by those conversations. Hmm. Um. And that that's the case in all sorts of areas of life. Yeah. And um, I'm, I'm kind of inclined to say, you know, we need to have this conversation again in about six months or, or whatever, well, yes, you know, yes. and uh, see where we are at that point. Mm. Um, because I think things will are changing and they will be different, will be in a different situation then. Yes. Um, so it'd be interesting, it'd be fascinating to see what God does and what doors are opened by them. 
Yes, excellent. So maybe we could have a, a conversation about it and maybe you will have spoken to other people in future about similar things and can bring that. And mm. likewise, I have in mind some other people I'd love to speak to about these kinds of things and maybe we will cross-fertilise ideas and, yeah, come up with some surprising mm. things. Who knows where God is going to lead us in this? Exactly. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great stuff. Definitely. There are lots yeah. of people moving. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much indeed. Good to speak to you again. Thank you very much, Julian. Show notes for this program can be found at The Mind Renewed, themindrenewed.com, podcast music by Anthony Rajakoff, attribution non-commercial share alike 4.0 international. You have been listening to me, Julian Charles, and my guest, the Reverend Phil Saker, and I very much look forward to speak to you again in the very near future.